Hi, this is Michelle Zirkel, your host for Life Speaks, here on The Air. And I have the privilege of speaking with Patricia Evans today, who has helped me tremendously with a book that she wrote called The Verbally Abusive Man. Her book absolutely helped me to change my life and to receive profound insights into what was going on in my marriage and in my relationship with my husband. Patricia is on the line with me, and Patricia, welcome to Life Speaks. Well, thank you very much, Michelle. I'm really glad to have an opportunity to share some information for all your listeners and uh, just see what we can do here. Okay. Yes, your book, The the Verbally Abusive Man, as I said, tremendously. Yeah, that's uh, okay. And yeah, that's the one I tell women, don't read it, just go to the appendix. Most everyone, uh, a million, I have about a million sold. It's like 975,000 sold on the first book. It's called The Verbally Abusive Relationship. And most women really need that book, and that's why there's so many sold, because they keep telling their friends about it. That's the one that allows them to see what is going on, that they are in a difficult relationship. And then, then when they read the second book, they're inspired to feel stronger and trust their intuition. Then when they read the third book, The Verbally Abusive Man, Can He Change? That's the fourth book. Um, they, they've already read the third, which explains what's wrong with him. So when they get to the fourth, they usually uh, by then have either left or talked to me or just used the appendix. Many times I say, just go to the appendix where there's 400 samples of abusive sentences. And then I show them how to make a uh, list and how to do an intervention and, and what to say and everything. So um, that, that was was it, The Verbally Abusive Man, Can He Change? That yes. was your first book? Yes. That was, wow. That was That's my pretty first rare. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. I don't even remember too much of what's in that book. Um, <laughs> I think I kind of... I think I kind of summarized probably uh, the other three things about the other three. It was, it was being the th- other three books, the well, former ones. And then, uh, this, mm-hmm. this interview with you is very timely in that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And mm-hmm. that, that is something, of course, that um, I've just gotten into the life coaching, similar to what you do, as a result of the experience that I've had and the um, efficiency of the program that you've developed because as as you've told me before when we talked earlier that you actually coined this term the verbally the verbal well actually yeah i i was didn't say coined it what i did was i introduced it to humanity but the words the reason i called it the verbally abusive relationship is a little short story when i was in grad school I had heard my cousin always put down, and I heard kids put people down. So I thought, well, I want to help people. I knew that. So I thought maybe I can find courses that will help me to help people who hear all this stuff. So when I looked and looked and looked, finally I talked to the late Carl Putz, professor from uh, the university. He was a philosophy teacher. And I saw him and went in and asked him if he knew any courses, what I should take, because he'd been there a long time. And he said, those put-downs you talk about, that's verbal abuse. So that was the first time I heard it. And I said, wow, put-downs are verbal abuse. I never thought of that. Well, what courses should I take? He said, well, there's no courses anywhere. Nobody even knows what it's about. Why don't you write a book that would show people how to recognize it? That would be something. 
that's the book that's reaching a million in sales now. And so uh, so I did research, you know, uh, and finally uh, came up with a book. And, and it your research the, involved, involved actually speaking with women who were in those situations. Is that correct? Well, yeah. Well, yes, I went to some Al-Anon meetings, and uh, afterwards they would all get together, you know. And I figured, well, these women uh, who's all dealing with an alcoholic spouse or somebody like that, um, they've probably heard verbal abuse. So, um, you know, because that's often what happens. If a person's drinking, they get might get angry and start yelling at you and stuff. So anyway, so I just interviewed those people, and I searched around and looked at domestic violence and realized that domestic violence is preceded by verbal abuse, but not all verbal abusers do anything physical. The majority don't. They're very intelligent. They don't want to go to jail. They don't want to leave a mark or anything right. like that. Right. See, so... That was so, uh, exactly yeah, but my they did. situation, exactly what you're saying, because, mm -hmm. he, well, he was a police officer, too, so, of course, he didn't want to be in jail. But, um, yeah, he never oh, laid right. a hand on me. Absolutely. Never laid a hand on me. And it took years. We were mm -hmm. high school sweethearts. We dated for many yeah. years. And, of course, it was going on then. But it was a little, it's kind of like gaining weight. <laughs> you know, it's just a little mm -hmm. bit at a time, a little bit more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, when they start, usually they they start becoming abusive uh, when you get engaged or you get co really totally committed or you get married. And as far as domestic violence goes, the most common time, I believe, for a woman to be physically hit or pushed, shoved, and, you know, physically attacked is on the honeymoon. So the reason, there's a reason this happens uh, usually when there's a real strong commitment, you know. So if you and your spouse at the time felt really committed, he could have begun being verbally abusive. But he didn't think of himself as abusive. Uh, he never thought, I'm being mean to my wife, did he? He usually blamed you, right? right? Absolutely. And yeah. I didn't think of myself as a victim, absolutely, either. Mm -hmm. I did not. And yeah. your book, literally your book was the straw for me. I had been seeing uh, a lady who was a life coach. Uh, I'd been seeing her and I had been getting a little bit of counseling from the preacher. Um, it didn't really go too far. I still did not see mm -hmm. what was going on. But when I read your book, I got it home that night. And I didn't go for your book. I have to say, I was at the library and looked down, and this title, The Verbally Abusive Man, jumped out at me. And I thought, oh, no, I'm not, I can't check that out. People will know, you know, people will know that I've got a problem. Or I, and uh -huh. I didn't know that I had a problem, but I do not read self-help books. Your book is the first self-help book that I have ever read. And I got home, snuggled wow. into the house in my bag. I got home, sat down in my bed. He was down watching TV. And I started reading it. And I read clear through chapter three. And I mean, it was literally, if you could have put the proverbial light bulb above my head, that's exactly what happened. I thought, oh, my wow. God, that's why he did this. That's why he said that. That's why. That's why. I just kept saying it over and over. That's how personally, mm -hmm. like a board hit me, your words. Yeah. The first time I've oh, yeah. seen it put the way that yeah. you put it. You put it so eloquently. In that book, yeah, I must have uh, I explained what's wrong with him in the third book called Controlling People. Um, I didn't name it. My publisher named it. I called it Breaking the Spell. Okay. okay. <laughs> I thought women would like that. But anyway, um, well, I it like ended it. up being called. 
<laughs> and, I like it. Anyway, that's good. Anyway, they called it controlling people, so that's the title. And that's the one that explains what's wrong with him. Then I probably carried it into the fourth book. The third book, Controlling People, actually explains exactly what's wrong with him. And what's wrong with him is this feeling he has or an inner unconscious projection that he knows what you want and what you should do and what you're going to do. Like he just, like you're an extension of his mind. Okay. Right. And I, I know that um, years ago, women occasionally did talk to each other. I heard an older woman when I was a little girl say, my husband thinks he's an extension of me. Okay. And so there, there was a clue there. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know at all. And she was talking about how uh, if he said, uh, you know, it's time to uh, put up the shutters, then if she said, yeah, it's time to put up the shutters, that would be okay. If she said, you want to do it now, he would get angry because she didn't match his mind. You know, right. he, she just had to repeat what he said so he wouldn't get angry. So, um, and that's another thing, asking them questions will usually start, make them start feeling irritated or angry. And that's because their extension already knows the answer. So here's an example I've given to women. It's like um, she comes home and she or she's in the house working, and he comes home from work and she says, Oh, hon, did you see if the mail came when you came in? And then he will be so angry, but he won't know why. See, he won't know why. So he'll form a confabulation. In other words, she showed up as a separate person. She didn't know if he saw if the male was there or not. So she asked him. So that sets him off because the rest of him already knows. So it's like, where did the rest of me go? He's unconscious. He's feeling attacked. And so he just gets angry and says, what am I supposed to do? Keep track of your mail? You know, and all she did was say, did you notice that the mail came? So it's very very, very confusing to anybody who is in this kind of a relationship because it's always sort of unexpected. And then there'll be other times when everything seems okay, you know, um, but then it happens out of the blue. Right. Oh, I I related very well to everything that, that was in your book as far as the actual dialogue that you bring out is, I mean, it's uh-huh. spot on. It's spot on. We are, we're listening to Patricia Evans talk about the verbal abuse that goes on in relationships. And this is particularly from men to women, although it does happen the other way, and we can get into that in a minute. But this is Michelle Zirkel Markham, your host here for Life Speaks on the air. And we're listening to best-selling author Patricia Evans. Patricia, I'm so glad. And go ahead and continue um, what your train of thought was there on well, yeah, they um, they don't know, uh, the, all they know is they have a bad feeling and she said something, like, did you see if the mail came? So they have this awful feeling of irritation or being attacked, and so then they'll yell, what am I supposed to do like that? Keep track of your mail. So they they don't know where the feeling comes from, so their mind forms a confabulation. I'll give you an example. If you had some really strange strange uh, amnesia, something you never had before. You were sitting at your table, and then all of a sudden you're looking around in the grocery store, and you don't remember going there. You'd start to panic. And then, I mean, 
just no, just pure amnesia from getting there. And there you are standing there feeling panic. Your mind will come to the rescue. It'll form a confabulation. And the confabulation might be, oh, I came here to get my favorite bread or their dessert or something. So then your your panic would go away and your confabulation would be recorded like memory. So you'd go on like nothing had happened, so like you, you hadn't had amnesia. You kind of make up something then in your mind, and you're saying that's kind of what the man does with this. With this yeah, he makes up. Um, you never. You, yeah, you you expect me to keep track of the mail. You know, he makes up something to explain why he feels irritated when you ask, "Did you see if the mail came when you came in?" Right. So then he makes up. He feels this awful feeling. The awful feeling comes because. The part of him that's projected into you disappears. Suddenly, it's like, who's this standing here? You know, it's like he feels ejected, rejected, attacked, sometimes almost killed. And all you did was say, did you see if the mail came? Because part of him has disappeared. Right, because so, it seemed like I was supposed to know everything. And I'll tell you, um, even something as simple as, um, you know, going to a movie and we had decided to go and, Everything was cool, and then maybe an hour later he'd come in and say something like, uh, well, we're going to have to leave at a certain, you know, 5.30 or something if we're going to go eat. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't even have known mm -hmm. that he wanted to go eat, you know. And I, I would stand there and yeah. when he would just, he would be upset with me and say things back to me, like you're saying, um, you know. Yeah, you would say, well, I'll get a sitter or something. Yeah. He'd be mad that you hadn't already done it because you already knew you were going to go eat, but you didn't know that he was thinking that, and he he assumes you're the rest of him, that you know he was going to go eat. So he always uh, feels irritated or attacked. So if you're dealing, if a listener out there is thinking, wow, this might be something I'm dealing with, read the first book, The Verbally Abusive Relationship. It's the, you know, the one that's got the most sales. It's almost one million sold. Okay, that's the book that almost everybody reads first, just to see what is what how they're feeling and to get validation, because they are feeling confused right. because it makes no sense. Now, the other reason it makes no sense is we live in a world where our culture has assumed for a long time, and we kind of hear it in school that men are more rational than women, and you think that he's rational. Right? It's like he must be rational. He's rational. So you don't think he's he's being irrational, crazy, or insane. Okay? Right, because, he's being something. Because women are the ones who are more emotional and, and always exaggerating. Okay, I get you. Yeah. yeah, and women don't exaggerate. Women hardly even express themselves most of the time. But they do express their feelings because that's one of the four functions. So that brings me to another little area. You know, we all, every human being is born with four functions. Thinking, feeling and emotion, senses, the sensate function, and intuition. And that's how we perceive the world and process the world and be in the world, right? Right. Okay. So if he's grown up hearing you're not hurt, you've got nothing to cry about when he's three or four years old and he skins his knee, okay, he's told he's got nothing to cry about, he's not hurt, he's... Uh, just trying to get attention. So he loses some of his intuition. He didn't know. He, he thought he was just crying. <laughs> he, he's being told he's doing something wrong. He doesn't trust himself. He doesn't look within. He loses intuition. 
If this all happens, this kind of thing happens over and over in his childhood. He loses most of his emotional intelligence. So all this stuff is in his unconscious. And even sometimes he may have lost some of his sensate awareness and not really notice if he, where he got a bruise or a cut or what happened to him. Sometimes they don't even notice that they're going to have a heart attack. So, so he's losing parts of his functions. He's being disabled by his father. Usually, sometimes the mother. Mostly this is handed down from father to son since the beginning of time almost, since there were people living in tents and caves. And there were young men who were trained to be soldiers. They weren't thought of that way. They were just told, go and get the stuff that was stolen from our camp. And he'll say, it's too cold. So they take out some of their sensate awareness. He'll say, I'll miss home. I'm frightened. They take away their emotional function. He'll say, I think I might die. They'll take away their intuition. So overall, fathers to sons disabled their sons and turned them into what one might say is psychological paraplegics. About half of those functions is missing. Wow, that's, All that's huge. And you mentioned the word insanity, too. And, you know, I really... It's I like that. It feels like that to people, you know? I never, I never really thought of my my husband at the time. He's my ex mm. now. But I've really never thought of him as being insane because, you know, I, that wasn't my, my definition of insane. Yeah, he, because, yeah and he's, he's not insane. legally insane. Right. But right. it's just not a sane behavior. Right, right. <laughs> it's not sane. And, and it's not sane. You're, you're right. The woman, I think, stands there. At least I know I did. Um, I would stand there confused after a uh, an incident, after a, you know, one of these co- very confusing uh, confabulations that he made up, as you mentioned, and I would I would stand there and second guess myself. If he would say to me, "Well, you're always unhappy," well then I would stand there and think, "Am I always unhappy? Why am I always unhappy?" Right. Uh, well, yeah, you think. Yeah, when was I unhappy? And then you'd think I was really happy when some friends came over. I was really happy on this trip. Why Why would he say I'm never happy? Yeah, it's so confusing. And thinking if I instead was just of happy, I could fix it. I could fix us if I was just happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there are all these things that come up, you know, like that. Anything. If I could just be happy. If I never asked him if there was gas in the car, he wouldn't get mad and say, "Do you expect me to get all the gas?" You know. And you're just thinking, "I'll get. Some, I'll stop at the station. I'll get some gas." So <laughs> whatever you're doing, he'll get. He'll be angry, and and women will be thinking, maybe, you know, I should never ask him about gas in the car. Maybe I should tell him I'm always happy. Whatever, <laughs> you know. And then there's one of the abuses is abuse disguised as a joke. And so sometimes they'll say something really mean and say it was I was just joking. You can't take a joke. You don't have a sense of humor. So then you'll stand there and think about how you'd laugh at your friends' jokes and that you really always thought you had a sense of humor. But maybe you don't. <laughs> right. And you know, that happened to me all the time. That especially. The joking was prevalent. I mean, and it would be things that I would even ask him later. I think, okay, I'll ask him when no one's around. Can you please not say that? And one of the things, ironically, because we're divorced now, was that he would say, mm-hmm. well, when, when you divorce me, and this was 10 years before we divorced. I mean, we weren't even seriously, there was no serious talk whatsoever about a divorce, okay? But we would be in front of people, mm-hmm. and he would, t- he would say, 
things like, or especially if one of his friends or someone had gotten divorced and the topic came up, he would say, well, when you divorce me, I just don't want you to take my retirement. And he would say this numerous times. So I would ask him on the side, privately, mm-hmm. honey, could you please mm-hmm. say that? Because it really embarrasses me. And, you know, and, and we're not getting a divorce and people are going to think that there's something wrong. You know, and mm-hmm. he would just, just, he really never promised me that he wouldn't say it, but he would always do it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Joking was, it was very hurtful. And then you stand there and wonder, well, why did that hurt me so much? I need to be tougher. I need to be tougher because that really. Oh, yeah, because you know what? He'll always say, always say, you're too sensitive. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? Absolutely. Yeah. They tell you, so you think, well, maybe other people just laugh at these things. Maybe I'm too sensitive. And you really start to believe it. You know, they they do all these things. I've, I've heard from, oh, 40 or 50,000 women, and, and they all have very similar stories. And so after my first book came out, I did the Oprah show, CNN Newsweek called it groundbreaking. It got a lot of publicity. And uh, so, you know, and I give workshops around the country and speaking engagements and all that kind of thing. And... Uh, Anyway, um, it was like as soon as uh, people started hearing about it, it was like this flood of women recognizing what was going on. And you know how you said it was like the book, one of my books, like jumped out at you, yes. showed up oh, yes. at the library. When I would give a workshop, the women in a circle would were supposed to say, hi, I'm from Kansas or wherever, you know, and pass it and go around in a little 30 seconds. But then somebody would start to say, and I and I found this book. It was just jumped up, and people would start to say, an angel pushed it off the shelf for me. And they'd have all these stories wow. of how they found my book, and that would be their story. Oh, <laughs> I, I can absolutely believe it because the the section that you, that your book was in was, of course, self help, but also right above it in the library I was in in Ohio mm-hmm. was the more. It was more about spiritual. It was. Um, 90 minutes in heaven and those type of uh, oh yeah uh-huh in your death experience yeah when i saw yeah was, was that wow yeah well now what i do in a consultation with women um i first in, I do a consultation usually i'd say 97 to 98 percent of the calls and contacts i get are from women who have been uh verbally put down and abused by their spouses or boyfriends. Then about 2% are men who have totally been uh, abused by a very mentally ill wife. (laughs) And that happens. But these women, in order to be so abusive, they've lost their, their whole feminine side, you could say, if you look at Jungian psychology. And so they're not kind, nurturing, warm, receptive, or anything. But they're also projected into a male, so they've lost lost their masculine side so they're what's called a hundred percent projected and they're it's, it's it's and that's just because they're they have you know some major disorders and so it shows up but 97 98 percent of the women who contact me are there because they finally realize something's wrong and um and many have young children are financially dependent on their spouses so i show them in the console, how to wake up their partner. Now, he might realize she might leave me, and he doesn't want a divorce at all, and he may want more than anything to be different, but he can't. I've never heard of a man changing by willpower alone. 
because he has to integrate that lost self I talked about. So I show him how to do that, all the things to do, the kind of therapy to get and so forth. So men who do this do change, but it takes time, and they should be separated, and they should meet weekly with three quarters on the table. Right, and then I didn't also, do that. I did not go that, I didn't go to that extra step. You didn't go that route, yeah, yeah, no, because you didn't start with the first no. book and contact me. I did. But those who do, um, they have that program, and you never know if they're going to do it or not. But some men are very good at doing it, and some men don't pay any attention. So it's all, you know, it's all based on how you feel. And also, sometimes a woman can be so traumatized in the relationship that even if he changed and really did a lot of work and all, she would still feel traumatized when she'd see his face or even his handwriting. She'd be re-traumatized. Right. That's what I call it. And so women who had contact with their exes uh, would tell me they had a setback. And I said, I tried to figure that out. And then I said, oh, wait a minute. It lasts about three days. Did, and did you have any contact with your ex? And it, that, it always was. Yeah, I was okay after about three days. And this, I had contact. Okay, maybe exchanging kids, whatever. So I show women how to handle that and deal with that so um, they can feel safer and so forth. But it can be re-traumatizing to such a degree that one woman um, said she saw the handwriting on a check. She got a monthly check from her ex-husband. Wow. And she'd see his handwriting and she'd be disturbed for three days. But I came up with a three-day thing because Carl Jung, the Jungian psychiatrist, that came after Freud, yes. very, very famous. Yes. Okay. He, in one of his biographies, he said that a woman came to see him who projected on him 100%, and it, he knew what she was doing. He was that, he was brilliant. Okay. And it took him three days to recover, and he refused to see her again because he couldn't take it. So this kind of projection, you know, can be hor horribly painful and just disturbing your whole psyche that was too disturbing to him so that's where i realized what 100 percent projection is and uh and so the the men who do this to their wives they have a pretty good amount of them projected into their partner she's their other half psychologically from their view she's the warm receptive nurturing emotionally intelligent intuitive part of him and that's it Wow. That's, that's it. Yeah. So, so they, he has to integrate himself. They can change. They have to get back into their childhood and actually um, adult. They, they go through. I tell them how to find the kind of therapy they need, what to tell the therapist. Because therapists, generally, unless they've read my books, how are they going to know anything about this? So I tell them to say, I lost myself in childhood. And I projected my lost self into my partner. So I didn't feel crazy to tell her you want to argue as if I were God and lived within her and knew what she wanted. I didn't feel crazy to tell her what she thought, like you think you're so smart, as if I lived within her and knew her thinking. I didn't feel crazy. And then, you know, they have a whole list of things. They only have to say one of them, but they can pick one out that they know they said and say, you know, because a healthy person would feel crazy. They don't ever say things like that, right. you know. 
a healthy couple, married like 13 years, one couple I talked with, um, and I let them look at this, the list of 400 samples in the appendix of the verbally abusive man, can he change? Anyway, they looked at all over. They came up with zero. They both agreed they'd feel crazy to tell somebody you want to argue or you can't take a joke or you're too sensitive or you're trying to start a fight. I live within you and I'm God and I know your motives. Oh, good. You know, it's, it's just plain crazy. Well, you and, know, uh, actually helped. Yeah. It didn't just help me with, with my marriage, even though it, like I said, it, you know, it didn't work out. He signed the agreement and, but there was no buy-in. There was no therapy in addition to that. Mm -hmm. so I'm sure that's why he did sign it. Two oh weeks, yeah. They have to, two weeks later. They like, have to understand. Yeah. They have a whole lot of things to do. They have lots of reading. They have to talk to me first and understand exactly why they would say these things because they don't know. Right. I have no idea that part of them is missing. How would they know, you know, right. then they have to integrate it in intensive therapy and they have to get support on the men's group for men ending verbal abuse. So I teach them all these things, you know. Well, the one yeah. thing that helped, but it did help me in that at least now I do recognize it right away. If someone does say something to me that is totally irrational and basically is assuming what I'm thinking. Without asking. Oh, great. Some time. Without asking. Right. Yeah. The men uh, that I've dated, and I do recognize right away if someone is is mm -hmm. So that is one thing that's really helped me because now that I have integrated that into my head. You understand it. Yeah. 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 You under, you are, you're clear. Once you're clear, once you know that there is no one on this planet who can tell you what you are, think, feel, need, want, know, don't know, should do, but you, unless you ask somebody, what should I do about taxes or something, but no one can tell you your nature, your humanity, who you are and what you are and so forth. It's just plain irrational. And uh, healthy people really can't even bring themselves to say these things because they know they're irrational. Right. You know, they're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks like our time's here, huh? Yes, Patricia. I, I really enjoyed having you here on Life Speaks today. And um, before you go, um, why is this uh, why is this topic particularly um, important to you? What what caused you to be so interested in this topic of verbal abuse? Was there something in well, your life, or yeah, a professor suggested it. I just wanted to. I wanted in grad school. I wanted to know how to help people if they got put down because my cousin was put down by his father all the time, and um, you know it sounds it sounded crazy to me. I'd never been put down. I mean, I had my mother and father had never said a negative you statement to me, you know. So so it seemed real strange when I would hear it at school or, or whatever. And I never thought of it as verbal abuse. I just asked a professor about the put-downs. And, uh, and he said, put-downs are verbal abuse. And why don't you write a book that would show people how to recognize it? So that's what I did. And you can find all the books and, and contact information at verbalabuse.com. It's real simple. Verbalabuse.com. Okay, and that's men and women alike can contact you for further help and counseling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They do all the time. Yeah, sure. They can. And in their consultation, I cover just a ton of information. Sure. And they can always book another if they want. 
Correct. They know everything to do. They know what's wrong. They know what abusers, a person who abuses knows why they're doing it, what kind of help they need, and so forth. But generally, if they're in the relationship, I ask to talk to their partner first so I know her experience of him, and then and then I can help him most. Yeah. I really appreciate ta- you speaking with me. I'm so glad that I called you a few months ago. And yes. Just to say thank yeah, you. Michelle. Thank you. And that was Patricia Evans, the best-selling author of several books, including The Verbally Abusive Relationship, The Verbally Abusive Man, and Controlling People. And the, the Verbally Abusive Relationship is just about ready to sell a million copies now. And Patricia was saying she's going to get a sticker when that happens. She put a nice sticker on your book that says it got an award. And I am so thankful that I reached out to her to thank her for writing The Verbally Abusive Man because it literally was the straw that changed my life. It was the, it was the proverbial straw that helped me to see the situation objectively that I was in. And yes, things did not exactly work out. My marriage, in other words, it did not stay intact. I did end up getting a divorce uh, sometime after that, actually. It wasn't too long after that, but it was um, within about four or five months afterwards. But the important thing is that she has an extensive program, not just a program that, um, not just the information that I had available in the book, but she actually has an extensive program where she works one-on-one with you. So if you are interested in reaching out to her for her specific program, which enlists both the woman, the woman and the man in the situation, whether you're the victim or the abuser, although most often, as she indicated, the abuser is usually the male. But um, either way, you can reach her at verbalabuse.com. You can also reach me at verbalabusementor.com. And I have not been practicing nearly as long as she has, obviously, but I do use uh, her model loosely and cater it directly to women. Uh, I, this topic is very important to me. It's very close to my heart because I was in a situation for so long. I was in a verbally abusive situation for 22 years. And I don't want it to take anyone else that long, any other woman or man that long to figure out what's going on. And to know that they're not crazy, that that they can change how they look at the at conversations, how they deal with the the other person, and that they can make a change and that they can be happy. I, I want you, if you're a listener in that situation, I want you to be empowered and know that change is possible. Change happens when you look at something differently, when you change your perspective. And I will be at the Kanawha County Library here in Charleston, West Virginia, Thursday, which is September the 21st, for a short presentation on recognizing the signs of verbal abuse. Because that's something that her book, Patricia Evans's book, really helped me see was the signs of verbal abuse. I did not realize that these jokes that were made that were very hurtful, uh, repeated jokes, not just occasional joke, but repeatedly these jokes that were made that were hurtful, I didn't realize that was verbal abuse. I didn't realize that when my husband looked at me and said, you're never happy, or, you know, you always want to fight, or you just want a divorce, you don't want to be with me. When he was saying these type of things to me, that he was actually pretending he was me, like that he knew what I wanted. And none of those things were true. 
I, it wasn't that I was never happy. I was overall, generally, a very happy person. But I am much happier knowing now that I can speak to someone and I can have rational conversations with people who don't try to assume my identity. And so that's one major component of any verbal abuse program. And Patricia Evans is, is top of the line. So this is Michelle Zirkle Markham, your host here for Life Speaks on the air. And I'm so thankful to have been in the situation I was. I really am. I'm truly thankful for the experience because without the experience, I would not be where I am right now. And I would not have this information to share with you, the listeners, and with, with women who are in these situations. So with every challenge, there is triumph to be had if you want it. And I certainly did want it. And I got the change that I wanted. Um, it, it doesn't always have to lead to divorce. Verbal abuse is something that, as Patricia mentioned, that men often do take responsibility and they do see with time and with therapy and with going back into childhood and delving into those issues that caused the, uh, the challenges in their mind to begin with for them to even purport to be another person, especially a woman, which is what they're doing when they make these absolutely insane, irrational statements. But by doing this, men can change. And I, we know it's possible, and they have to want to do it. There are support groups out there for men in addition to Patricia's, uh, Patricia Evans's program, but you can see her on verbalabuse.com. You know, often we think of being attacked or being abused as something that happens to somebody else. And as is most often the case, it doesn't always happen to just someone else. Often it happens to us. And it often happens right in our very homes. The place that we should feel the safest, the place where we should be able to kick our shoes off, let our hair down, smile and laugh and feel free to express ourselves and to just enjoy life and walk around barefoot, literally, um, and let our guard down a little bit from all the outside forces in the world that want to just sometimes enclose on us. But when you're experiencing verbal abuse, that abuse takes place literally in your home, in your car, in your private space that you would like to have be sacred and peaceful. And it takes recognizing it to fix it, just like anything else. I say this because I experienced it. I lived it for 22 years, actually longer than that if you include dating time. Often we're not even married to the person that is that is verbally abusing us. Sometimes it's a partner or a friend, but it's always a revelation that, hey, I'm a victim. And so if you're the one experiencing that, we've we've talked on this show a lot, and the, the last show was the first segment of this. We've spoken about all of the things that men say, and usually men, say will say to a woman to put her down, to say jokes, to hurt, not to, not to make a funny, <laughs> but to actually cause harm to the psyche. Um, they say it because they... They are us. They feel they are an extension of us, that we are basically an extension of them, I should say. Often we start looking at ourselves through their eyes. They say, you're never happy. We start questioning our happiness. Are we really never happy? And if we're not really happy, why? 
And maybe me not being happy is the reason that my relationship with this man is deteriorating. So we, we question ourselves. We start doubting ourselves. We start not liking ourselves. And that just causes the situation to get worse. And to fix it, there are some things that we can do. And I'm going to share those with you here next on Life Speaks. This coin is two-sided. And many men have found, according to Patricia, have found that to be to look at their partner, their wife, as a best friend will actually have him looking at you in a different light. And that has often helped men to actually look at their, their partner as a human, not just as an object. Another thing, according to Patricia, that helps men to see their woman as as a human is to ask himself several times a day am i being kind am i being kind to her am i being kind to the people in my life and if he's not sure what being kind is and is open to those suggestions uh, ask actually asking the woman what what is kindness to you how can i be kind to you i know this may sound very simple and very trivial but It's so very important because it really is, at the basal level, it is very simple. Being kind should be uh, a very simple human instinct sort of way to be. But what happens, as Patricia alluded to in the first show, is that men are taught to turn off their feelings, to disassociate themselves from their feelings, especially when they are abused as a child. And I don't mean necessarily thrown across the room abused, but are told, you know, don't cry. You're not allowed to cry. You need to be tough. Those sorts of things, those sorts of statements to men will turn off their feelings. And as this is repeated over and over throughout the years with men, men start assuming feelings of their wife. They take on the role of her and see her through their eyes as being actually an extension of themselves. The subject of intimacy in this whole scenario, uh, we have not really broached on uh, in such a short interview, but one, one thing for sure is that if a woman's not feeling safe with a man, especially if the verbal abuse has led to some altercations physically, uh, it's going to be difficult for the woman to, to open up and, and be in an intimate setting, uh, to, to actually be physical and to be in a sexual intimate relationship with the man for sure. So if he is willing, if he truly is willing to work on himself and to uh, be open to the suggestions that are being made and, and through the counseling and through programs like Patricia Evans offers, then he should be willing to hold off on that and until the woman is is actually physically feeling safe and emotionally safe as well she needs to feel that her emotions are safe with this man that she can say i feel hurt or i feel sad and not have him say well you're always unhappy or you're too sensitive that that's one one line that's often delved out is you're too sensitive In, in a healthy relationship Instead of a man saying you're too sensitive when a woman says she's hurt or she's sad or she's depressed, 
a healthy relationship would encompass the man saying something to her like, well, tell me what's upset you or honey, what's wrong? That would be a tip, a, a normal, what we'd say healthy, healthy response from a man. And actually from, from a woman, for that matter, from any partner. If, if you say that, uh, if he, instead of him saying something like, you're, you're too lazy, or you're so lazy, then it would be best for him to say something like, well, are, are you, do you need some help? Uh, are, are you just running behind schedule? Can I do something to help you? So all of these suggestions are in Patricia's book, The Verbally Abusive Man, and, and as I alluded to earlier, the verbally abusive relationship and controlling people, she really outlines the dialogue, and the dialogue is so very specific and so very important. And, you know, I had a workshop tonight at the library in Charleston, West Virginia, where I, I did a, a free workshop for women, and one lady asked me, what she could do if she, you know, if it happens, her husband says something to her and she may panic and not remember what to say. And I suggested that she do what I, because I remember, I remember being in her shoes and I remember standing there in the kitchen and wondering what uh, my life coach had told me to say, what am I supposed to say? You know, he's just said something to me that's totally irrational, very hurtful. And I'm standing there and I'm wanting to lash out or I'm wanting to just walk off and, and, go in my bedroom and get a book and read, or I'm, I'm wanting to just get out of the situation or even lash out, depending on what mood I'm in, <laughs> uh, maybe just uh, wanting to yell back. And so my suggestion to her was in those situations to not be too quick to react, not be just saying something that wants to just roll off your tongue. Uh, say something like, uh, I, I really need to use the restroom. I'll be, I'll be right back. Or clear your throat and say, oh, I need to get a glass of water uh, or I need to get a drink. And, you know, by the time you get the glass down out of the cabinet, open up the refrigerator, get out the tea, maybe even add the sugar to your tea that you normally wouldn't have anything to just to prolong it, to buy yourself a little bit of time so that you can remember, oh, yes, I remember now my life coach said or Patricia said uh, her book said to use feeling messages. Say, I feel hurt or I feel, I feel confused. So we often rationalize the fact that, uh, that our husband or our mate is, is a decent guy. So we should be okay with the treatment that we're getting. Uh, he, he is home every night. He's not out sitting on a bar stool and hugging a bar stool every night. Uh, and he's helpful uh, to the community. He, he's well-liked. He cares about some things very dearly that uh, maybe, you know, there's, there's an earthquake or there's, a, there's a, a tsunami or there's some sort of tragedy, and he really cares, and he's upset. And he may even help raise funds or uh, go out with the guard or ha Habitat for Humanity and help build a house for someone because he has a caring nature. So we, we take those good aspects as we should into account, but we take them so far into account that we allow those to make up for in our mind, the lack of respect that he shows to us. And that's not acceptable just because someone's caring to most people in the world and has a very caring heart. 
doesn't give someone the right to speak to you in a disrespectful manner, doesn't give someone the right to define who you are, what you think, to tell you what you think, what to wear, how to act. I remember there was um, a period of time that I was not working and I worked, I've worked for actually since I've been about 14 years old, I have worked. I had a paper out before I could even legally work at a, um, at a business. Uh, I was, I was delivering papers and so I had had, a, I had two boys, I had the children and there was a period of time that I was not working and we had a family get together, several people at the house, at least 10, 10 adults at the house, children running around. We were in a discussion, uh, probably political. And I remember that whatever I had said, and I, I've blocked some of it out, but I do remember saying, some, making a statement, I had an opinion about something that was being discussed. And my husband said in front of everyone at the house, he said, you don't have a right to even have an opinion. You're not working. That was the exact words I remember. And I was mortified. I literally felt like someone had gutted me right there and exposed me to the world because I thought, wow, first of all, I was mad. And I, second of all, I was, I was devastated to think that he thought that I was absolutely worthless because I was not bringing in an income for a couple of months. Whether it had been a couple of years, it shouldn't have mattered. That was not the point. My worth to him should not have been based on how much money I was or wasn't making. And it wasn't like we were not getting by or anything like that. It was not the case at all. So those uh, types of comments from people, they're not acceptable they're not acceptable and we as women should not should not even consider um, putting up with them now we have to look at things objectively everyone has to decide for themselves where they go with their relationship whether they're going to stay or whether they're going to go and that's that's what it will come down to eventually it did for me as well um, the the whole idea is to to work on yourself while you're working on yourself you you can work on the relationship too um, Patricia counsels both men and women and knows and as she said the man has to be on board he has to understand that he has a problem he has to recognize it he doesn't have to understand everything about it but he does need to know and understand that he is hurting you he is hurting this the, this person that he married that he promised to love and to cherish and that he's actually hurting you and that he is willing to to look at the the darkness inside of him to look at how, what he's doing what he's saying and the only way that that can be done is through intense counseling and that involves him usually going back into his childhood to see what happened and when his feelings were turned off and to reestablish connection with himself and with the feelings that he has basically learned to ignore and to project through you. So that's where that's where we're at here. This is Michelle Zirkle Markham on Life Speaks, and we are finishing up a segment on verbal abuse, and that's in honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is October. So often these marriages are successful 
when the partners are working together, when they're mutually being understanding and facilitating uh, understanding with each other, often they, they can be successful. And deciding whether to stay or whether to go is definitely, it's actually the byline on one of her, on one of Patricia Evans's books, uh, whether to stay or whether to go, because it will come down to that. Um, often these, these things can work out, but um, deciding whether to stay, here's some reasons that you, you may want to consider, some, some things you may want to consider in whether to stay or to, whether to go once the, um, the therapy has started. If you actually have a relationship and you feel like you're being heard, if the spouse is agreeing by the agreement, if both spouses are agreeing by the agreement, if he's going to therapy and he is actually coming home and telling you and sharing with you what he's learning through his therapy, if she can see that he's developing some empathy for her and some you know, compassion, that is a very good sign. If he apologizes immediately, if he slips up, he catches himself, he had said something unkind, then if he catches that and apologizes, especially right away, that's a very good sign that, that this very well could be, it could be a, successful, um, a successful marriage still at this point. If he is supportive of your interests, if you've developed new interests, um, as you often will through this type of therapy because you're learning to find things that make you happy, You'll often find things in your life that you've forgotten. You used to paint, and now all of a sudden you're painting again, or you're ice skating again, or whatever it is that you love to do. You, you bring those things back into your life that do truly make you happy and make you who you are. And it may be, often be things that you were doing when you first met him that you put aside for a while because of uh, careers, because of uh, family or jobs. But you bring that back in because you realize that you need a creative outlet. Everybody needs a creative outlet. So he's, he's going to be supportive of that if he's truly working on himself. Uh, he may be responsive in that he may ask you um, what you want. And he may be able to actually articulate what he wants without being, without being pushy about it or aggressive. And he may be able to express himself much more kindly to you in his desires. He will accept no. He will accept the answer no from you without pressuring you into explaining why or into just basically poking you into a yes. Uh, he will accept a no. And he will, he will accept your responses and your opinions about things, even if they're different than his. And even if you are not working and making money, he will respect you for who you are and not that. He'll, he'll respect your opinion and that it's different. And you will be able to start trusting him again. And your gut will tell you that. Your instincts will tell you if he's just, if he's just faking some of this or if he's actually being real. You'll know if it's real. The, the change will be substantial. You'll feel it in your gut. You'll, you'll see it in his eyes when he's looking at you and talking to you. You'll know that he really means it or he doesn't. Um, and he's going to actually be following through with these things every day. It's not going to be, I mean, it's basically like a lifestyle change. Um, when you think about a diet, you know, if someone goes on a diet, a lot of people think of the word as diet as just being, okay, I need to lose 10 pounds, so I'm going to you know, cut my carbs and I'm going to work out more. Well, that is one kind of diet, but there's also, diet just simply means the way you eat. It's your eating pattern. It's what you eat through the day. So that doesn't mean that you're necessarily trying to lose weight. The word diet is, well, we all have diets. Um, and it's, it's easy. It's not easy. It is not easy to argue with the way someone is feeling. 
it's very difficult to say, well, you know, you're not, you're not feeling that you shouldn't be feeling that way. Yes. Someone can tell you that, but it's really difficult to argue about what someone's feeling. They're either feeling it or they're not. Um, yes. Irrational people will still want to argue with that, but the entire principle of relating two people will change the dynamics of all of your relationships. Even with your kids, you will find you're able to communicate much clearer and it's a much, much healthier boundary for you to be able to do so. I'm so glad to be able to share some of the information that I've learned about abuse, about verbal abuse, about, um, just respect and living, living actually a healthy, full life. That's really what this is about. It's about finding a way for you to live and, and this is not just for women, this is for men, but a way for you to live authentically and be able to take those shoes off in your house, be able to dance around and be silly if you want and, and feel like you're at home. You should be at home. It, it is your home and you should feel at peace there. You should be able to be the silly, frilly you and not worry about your husband thinking that you're stupid because you're dancing around the living room. That is honestly how I feel. <laughs> I, I really hope that you can find that goddess inside of you through looking at this pro at these programs like verbal, the verbal abuse mentor.com. Uh, I, that, that is my website. Patricia's website is verbal abuse.com and find out what you can. If you think this is going on with you, reach out, get a book, get one of Patricia Evans's books, uh, get on the internet and, and do a little searching Look up my website, verbal, the verbal abuse or verbal abuse mentor.com. Look in your community. There may be some support groups, meetup groups, but if you think that you're in the situation, you're probably right. This is Michelle Zirkle Markham, your host for Life Speaks here on the air. If you're interested in my personal story of verbal abuse, you can find it on rainnoevil.com. That's rain like water, R-A-I-N rainnoevil.com my personal story of transformation 